it's helping to break the cycle, helping to overcome the stigma. That has all driven me to really want to help to support, bring to light, build awareness around um, needs that are in the community. What would you think about newcomers who moved to the Quad Cities, rolled up their sleeves, and got all the way into the hard work of advocating for and educating us, devoting themselves to our economic development and the care of our most vulnerable? I, for one, would say welcome and thank you. Our guests on today's podcast grace the April-May cover of Prescott Woman magazine and have called Prescott Valley home for just the last four years. Leslie Jenkins is the regional director for the Alzheimer's Association Southwest chapter. Her husband, Rodney Jenkins, is the vice president of community relations and student development at Yavapai College. His title is just slightly longer than hers. In their long careers of service, Leslie has worked in media relations and a host of nonprofits, and Rodney has been a successful political organizer and municipal official. The thread throughout their careers seems to be about weaving people together with resources they need to lead their best lives. The thread throughout their careers seems to be about weaving people together with the resources that they need to live their best lives. Leslie's work with the Alzheimer's Association, as you will hear, is to connect families with the resources that can make a tragic situation something like manageable and to educate people on what dementia really is. Rodney works to make Yavapai College a real and relevant force in this community's economic well-being by making it affordable for students, by helping students finish school, and by supporting the kinds of programs that bring prosperity to our area. He grew up in the kind of neighborhood where people looked out for each other, and he strives to help people and institutions keep making meaningful connections. Stay tuned for this episode where there's a lot of laughter, a bit of courtship, timeline debate, community compassion, and inspiration as we talk with these two accomplished, passionate leaders about their work to make things better for all of us here in the Prescott area. This is the Prescott Woman Podcast, an audio supplement of Prescott Woman Magazine, and we're your hosts, Kelly Roberge and Charles Matthews. All right, let's get local. Welcome, everybody, to the Prescott Woman Podcast. We are here with my co-host, Charles Matthews, and the Jenkinses. Hello, of Prescott Valley. Hi. Hello, hello. Good afternoon or evening. We're so excited to have you both here. Thank you so much for for taking time out of your day and and um, joining us. Oh, this is great. Don't we love to talk? Mm. Yeah, even over even over video, it's still it's still good. You guys aren't zoomed out. Yeah. We are. Well, me, I say me more than Rodney because Rodney has been able to do at least go into the office. But just in my role, um, we haven't been I would say we haven't been released to start doing in-person meetings or actually going into the office. So I have been working from home since March 17th, I think, of 2020. Wow. A whole year. Yeah, it's been a full year. Mm. That drove me crazy. I had to, I had to go back to the office. Plus, 
not productive at all. It wasn't working for you. It wasn't working for me. Was it nice and quiet at the office? Yeah, for the Did most everybody part. else stay away. <laughs> most people are are um, you know on some kind of a hybrid kind of uh, work schedule. So um, all I needed was me and my assistant and our president. That was good. Nice. So between the two of you. We have a lot that we could talk about, and I don't know how we're going to manage to fit it all into a 45-minute podcast because we have so many questions for both of you. Leslie, you have been working with the Alzheimer's Association, the Southwest chapter, for how long? So the way that it's structured, I'm the Northern Arizona Regional Director for the Alzheimer's Association's Desert Southwest Chapter. So what that means is my territory is Northern Arizona. So I go encompass Yavapai County, Coconino County, Apache, Mojave, Navajo. That was kind of, that was out of order, but... We cover five counties as well as La Paz um, and go from border to border. So realizing that, you know, the far reaching parts beyond Apache up to, is it Utah? I always get my geography. Mm -hmm. So up to Utah and then butts up to Nevada. We're a staff of three. Wow. Including myself. So there's a lot of fun to be had in reaching all of these uh, caregivers and families that are impacted by the disease. Wow. That's a huge territory. I work for Yavapai County and I thought that was a big territory and that's uh, got nothing on you. Right. Largest geographic area of coverage considering the Grand Canyon is part of my territory. We don't, we don't care for or support donkeys because I know they're part of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> no, you know, not to, to make light of, but just to recognize that geographically, we're the largest, uh, our region is the largest probably in the entire association. So our wow. outreach is very, very strategic, if you will. We rely very yeah, heavily. Yeah, have to be, right? Yeah, we rely heavily on volunteers for our, our care and support work. Fantastic. And we'll ask you more about what what that entails, but we also wanted the audience to get to meet Rodney, Rodney Jenkins, Vice President of Community Relations and Student Development at Yavapai College. What the heck does that long title mean? That sounds That's like that sounds like title. that sounds like everything. I'm, Do you have to write that out every time? You know, I'm laughing because our our youngest, who's in eighth grade, oh, he's got many jokes. And comments about about his uh, his title, but it, yeah, he's very busy. It's a, a combination of community relations, which includes our regional economic development office, our small development uh, business development center, marketing communications, government. Yeah, government relations. I'm actually the the registered lobbyist for the for the college. I may have missed some stuff on the oh, our foundation. And then on the other side, the, the student development side. And if I miss something and one of them hear it, I'm going to hear it from, from them. Well, let's just tell, tell the audience that uh, Rodney got his second COVID shot yesterday. So he's doing really great to just be sitting up and talking to us today. <laughs> Thanks. And so on the student development side, that's all recruitment, retention, financial aid, the... Um, 
the registrar's office, um, our resident halls. So it's a, I have a few more staff than Leslie. She says she had, it's three of them. It's about 160 of us. Wow. Well, I'm glad you've got help with that, Rodney, because that was making my head spin. <laughs> I'm, I'm a PR department of one, so I, been, I been feel there. for both of you. <laughs> definitely have been there. Well, yeah, in some respects, I'm there now. <laughs> but I have exactly. been blessed with a healthy and really great team, and so they do all the work. I just take all of the glory. Well done. <laughs> Speaking of which, speaking of glory, what's it like to be on the cover right. of Prescott Woman Magazine? I know you haven't seen the cover yet, but what do you feel about that? Yeah, Rodney, how do you feel about being on Prescott Woman? It's really challenged my manhood to, to be on the, the cover of Prescott Women Magazine, but I, I'm working through it. Well, I can I can say that, you know, from the photo shoot, because we did do the photo shoot, he did fine. And I can only imagine... Um, <laughs> how he'll feel once he uh, once he sees it. But it, it, it was truly an honor to even be asked um, when Brianna approached us about it, or approached me, it was, you know, very humbling, because we've been in this community since July of 2017. I've been in my role with the Alzheimer's Association, it was two years uh, in February. So still coming into my own, even in that role, but to be recognized as a family of service, and and that truly speaks to both of us um, and our passion to serve the community. It was truly an honor. Well, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about where you get your drive to serve, because we we got to take a sneak peek at the article that's going to be in the magazine and service runs really deep for both of you guys. I was wondering where, you know, where, where did you learn that, that value and that you would want to, that it is so important that you would devote your life to it? Well, for me, it, it, it started as a, a young kid in, in middle school when community service in my neighborhood was part of the neighborhood. I started handing out flyers for uh, folks who were running for local office and grew up to start managing campaigns locally in, in, in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. I managed well over 20 campaigns and knock on wood, I only lost one. And it was actually the, the my favorite politician I ever worked with when she wasn't a politician. She was truly an honest, you know, Christian woman who shouldn't have been running for pilot, running for office. Wow, that's a pretty good record. Yeah, and and so it just grew from there. I I managed so many council people in Cleveland. We had twenty one at a time individually. They created a position for me, and I became the communications director for the council. And so from there, went to the mayor's office, ran her campaign, the first female ever to run for mayor in the city of Cleveland. We were very successful in that campaign. And after that, went into one of our departments with the city. And it was time to exit local politics because politics had changed so much. The faces and the people and and the values. We did it. And we had a great group of folks. We did it because we wanted to make sure our, our families were safe, no abandoned cars on the street. Kids can go to school without being harassed. So it was really a grassroots 
effort that uh, came up in. And, and so, you know, when you when, when you leave politics, what else you do? Either you go into education or you go to jail. <laughs> oh, they carry you out if, if you didn't do it right. So I didn't do anything wrong. I, I love wearing pinstripe suits, but certainly not prison. Yeah. <laughs> Thinner stripes. Yeah, thinner stripes. But it was, um, I mean, truly a lifelong service. And higher ed, I think, is the next best thing to where I grew up. And Rodney, I got asked just, you know, since this, this seems to be my role to ask this question, you know, you you worked for, a f- you said, the first female mayor of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You know, what was it like to work for a, a female leader? You, you said you said your your masculinity was taking a little bit of hit being on the cover of, of Prescott Woman. But my guess is your masculinity is very intact. <laughs> and that and I'm guessing that that's that that's, uh, you know, being around strong female leaders. And obviously, obviously, Leslie's a strong female leader. I'm guessing that uh, speaks well of you what's it what's it like being around all these strong women you you know my father once told me let the work you do speak for you and so Mm. if you are doing things from the inside out the purpose from the inside out doesn't matter who who the anchor is what a council member said to me one day we were arguing and and he and he stopped in the middle of the argument and he said why do you do this for me i said the the thing that you don't understand has nothing to do with you. It, it can be any person we take out and put into this, this spot. I ran three of his campaigns and the one that I didn't run, he lost. <laughs> because That'll teach him. He forgot that community service isn't about the individual. It's about the, the mission. It's about the purpose. Why are you here? And, and so many politicians forget about, or they come in, you hear them say, I want to make a difference. What does that mean? And so if you could define that, then I would be willing to work with you. Mm. I wanted to circle back and hear from you, Leslie, what drives you to devote your life to service in such a way. So giving some history about how I, I got to where I am, I've always been very driven. And so, you know, even from, you know, from working at 16, as soon as I was old enough to work. There was this period of time that when I was in college, and my degree is in speech communication and theater, actually, in the college that I attended is called Tennessee State University. And there's a woman by the name of Oprah Winfrey who had attended mm. that particular um, university. So you know, there's some history there. And I had said I wanted to be the next Oprah Winfrey and actually do what you guys are doing, do television broadcasting, do radio. And in my span of time with the, the university, I did some internships in television, did internships in radio. And during that time, I realized I was really more interested in behind the scenes. So I was interested in PR aspect. When I graduated, I actually, my, I, my biological father lived in Columbus, Ohio, and was interested in me coming to cre- develop a deeper relationship. So graduated from college, left my mom and dad. My, my stepdad is my dad. He actually raised me um, and went to Columbus, Ohio. And my first job was in government. 
and I worked for um, an organization called Keep Columbus Beautiful. So you may have heard of that. It's a national initiative and in talking about recycling and reducing, you know, reusing, and it was tied to the government aspect or with the sanitation department. So I worked there coming right out of college. Really good job for, for somebody my age. Worked within a couple of different um, industries or, or departments with the, the city from Keep Columbus Beautiful to the sanitation department where I talked trash for a living. My mom would love it. My mom would <laughs> cringe because I had a college degree, but I would tell people I talked trash and I was really good at it too. Left there, went into traffic engineering. From there, went to public safety department. And from there, I was actually recruited or approached by Ohio State um, to work in their media relations department. And the I sure- Ohio State. Yes, the Ohio State. And it was at that job that I actually met Rodney and we got married 11 months after we met. And I I don't believe that. You keep saying that. Shall I do the math now? (laughs) (laughs) Did it did it seem like a blur, Rodney, or did it seem like it seemed like it would have to be longer? What, because I'm that difficult and you needed to, I mean, take a longer Ooh. span of time? Please. Okay, moving on to the next question. Please share. Can we get to, can I ask <laughs> questions? No. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. But we, we got married 11 months after we met and I relocated to Cleveland, Ohio. And by me relocating to Cleveland and looking for a job, I was actually able to I was hired by one of the largest community service organizations in Cleveland at the time. So that was my first introduction to nonprofit. And I worked in that role for about four years and then moved on to a different aspect. So that particular area was mental health and early head start. Left there and went to a job where I was working and supporting an organization that helped people that was transferring or coming off of welfare and going into the workforce, as well as formerly incarcerated who were looking for employment. So the um, organization was actually called Towards Employment. So that was an engagement of helping people to be able to be um, productive in the community. But my, my time in Cleveland and working in nonprofit exposed me to service and being a servant leader. And so when I tell people that community service really speaks to my core values, it does in the sense that I am helping to connect people with a service that may be provided from through the organization. And so that's why I have a a strong passion for the Alzheimer's Association and just from the, from, from the time that I have learned about not only the work that we do and how we serve the community, but more importantly, how great a need it, there is to connect people to the free <laughs> programs and services that we offer, because this is true. This is a devastating it is a devastating disease and has a harsh impact on the caregiver as much as it impacts the person that's living with the disease. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mental health and, and physical health and emotional health have those terrible ripples. It's not just the, not just the person directly affected. It's the whole, it's the whole community, not just the caregivers, but the whole community. Exactly. And, and just to, to piggyback on, on the comment that you made and, and not to say that you were directly um, speaking to that, but from an education standpoint, um, sharing with people that Alzheimer's and dementia is, is not a mental health disease. It's assumed that it is because a lot of people assume because it's affecting the brain and it's affecting how someone responds or reacts that they think that it's a mental health disease. So even having that opportunity or the platform to even share information about no. And this is this is a fatal disease that it's so much different in a large respect than other diseases that can be terminal, but oftentimes, and definitely more often than someone who's diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's, they can recover. There are many who recover from a cancer. There are many that, that would recover from you know, a blood disease. But when, when you're diagnosed with dementia, the reality is, because there is no cure, there are no medications that have been able to be produced that are going to to help alleviate. There's something that may help to extend or or alleviate some of the behaviors, but ultimately the reality is that that this disease is is truly a terminal disease, and people who are being diagnosed are being diagnosed at a younger younger age. We just learned of a um, very close advocate for the association out of our um, Phoenix office. She was diagnosed at 55, which would be considered early onset. And she just passed away this week at 60 from the disease. And so there's there's a lot of prevalence uh, around helping to connect caregivers to the resources and supports that are that are in our community. Yeah, you both are in really, really important roles at, at sort of opposite ends of, of people's lives. And we want to circle back a little bit later in the in the interview and ask a little bit more about the the advances in in care for folks with Alzheimer's. But one of the things we just wanted to ask you, Leslie, is what's a what's kind of a typical day for you at the Alzheimer's Association? So a typical day for me, I'm actually serving definitely two major roles, the community executive director for Northern Arizona. I also, on the fundraising um, side, I manage our fundraising efforts for Northern, and that encompasses two walks one walk that's in the Quad Cities, one walk that's currently that's in the Verde Valley, as well as what's called a longest day event, um, helping to build more awareness in the community. So let's let's take today. So, you know, it's it's what is today? It's Tuesday. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> that that's how that's how things have been for me. So, you know, today it was it was a meeting about programming with my community outreach person. There was a meeting with my helpline staff person talking specifically about helpline because we do have a 24-7-1-800 number. There was a meeting with a fundraising committee because we are doing a chapter-wide virtual gala in April. 
there was also a meeting that I set in on that my community outreach person coordinated with volunteers from across the region, as well as just the the day-to-day of, oh, (laughs) I actually need to put together that plan. Um, Oh, and that there was, there was another meeting with our walk managers and my counterpart talking about this coming year's walk and some of the the strategic approaches that we'll have in putting on a walk. So it it can touch a number of different um, spectrums. No one day is its own. And I actually thrive in that type of environment. And that's actually what I really enjoy about the work that I do, that I am doing fundraising, I'm doing community outreach, I'm also fine-tuning or aligning our operations and our approach to be as efficient as we can be within the, um, you know, within the the capacity of of our staff load. Mm, That sounds, I'm glad that you like that kind of of having that many plates spinning because that that sounds like a huge, huge uh, undertaking. Leslie, what is one of the biggest challenges to get to getting your message out to the people who need to hear it. Frankly, the, the biggest challenge is sharing the information in the community and connecting people to the services that we have. I don't know if taboo is the, the right word, but the easiest way for me to describe Alzheimer's and dementia is that people still see it as taboo. Um, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to acknowledge it. So mm. if someone is diagnosed with the disease, they may tell their loved one who is their caregiver, don't tell anyone about this. I don't want anyone to know. There's still shame about it. Yeah, they feel that there's shame. And so now that caregiver has the burden of holding that secret while also navigating the day-to-day of their loved one who is slowly diminishing and frankly leaving themselves because mentally we know that it's not a mental health disease but they're losing their 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 memory and the number of times in the short span of time that I've been with the association to hear caregiver stories particularly a spouse whether it's a wife or a husband who is caring for that loved one, that they said vows. You guys have said them a couple mm-hmm. of times just from our conversation, but they said those vows initially that said for better, for worse, in mm-hmm. sickness and in health and feeling like they are responsible for caring for that loved one for as long as they can. And I actually, for them, I think in many cases, they're trying to care for them until their loved one is no longer with us. But statistically, because of the stress of the the disease, oftentimes the person with dementia outlives their caregiver. Do people, you know, in in the spirit of those vows, do you find that people feel like they have to do it all alone? Yes. And is is part of what your organization does helping connect people with respite care and support and all of that? With resources in the community. Um, we are not a direct 
care or direct services organization. We are a health organization. We're not a health agency. We are a health mm-hmm. organization. So, you know, a lot of people see research as a, as a primary, which is great. And that definitely benefits us as the National Alzheimer's Association. But we are also grassroots and we provide support groups, education presentations, We have the 1-800 number that's a 24-7 helpline that someone can call at any time of the day or night to ask a question. I even tell them, I said, if if you're frustrated and you just want to vent and say, I'm mad, this is ridiculous, I'm tired of this, you can call our helpline and there is a master level clinician or social worker who is there to hear you. Mm. But what I appreciate and know about that is in that conversation, those clinicians and social workers know what questions to ask to get a deeper understanding of what may be going on. But even in that space, it's a challenge to get people to make that phone call and especially for people to attend a support group. You know, one of our taglines for the association is you're not alone. You're not alone because there is someone that you can call at 2 a.m. in the morning. You're not alone because if you go and attend a support group, or in this case, currently participate in a support group virtually, There are other caregivers in that support group that have probably gone through what you're currently going through that can give you insights about their personal experiences. So it's not about the Alzheimer's Association being a talking head. It's about bringing people together. You're also not alone when you attend one of our educations that talks about understanding Alzheimer's and dementia, the 10 warning signs, dementia conversations, effective communications, because the bigger piece to this and is partly most challenging is when someone is diagnosed with the disease. It's not a matter of sitting back and just waiting for things to to happen. It's really about getting your affairs in order while your loved one has their capacity to communicate. So we're able to help put together that care plan. Really exactly. tough conversation. And those are things yeah. that people yeah. just don't don't think about. I could go on right. and on. Sorry. <laughs> we'll put the, you know, That's we'll, your job. We'll, we'll make sure to put the link to the uh, Alzheimer's Association website. And I'm just looking online right now at the, the 10 early signs of, of dementia and, and memory loss. So, so check those out for sure. And, you know, can we come together as a community with the help of organizations, you know, like the Alzheimer's Association to have those tough conversations and feel like we're, we're supported and not alone, mm-hmm. as you said. I love that. Exactly. I love that tagline. Okay, let's take a little break and a little a little breath. We'll be right back with more after a word from our sponsor, Prescott Woman Magazine. Prescott Woman shows its dedication to this community in all the ways. They cover local stories, feature local businesses, honor local leadership, champion local causes, and raise money for local nonprofits. Each issue contains gorgeous photography and provides pages and pages of value all for free. 
And if you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our previous episodes at prescottwomanmagazine.com slash podcast. This episode is an extension of the cover story in the current issue of Prescott Woman Magazine. For more on Leslie and Rodney Jenkins and on the Alzheimer's Association, pick up the April-May issue available now. This gorgeous lifestyle and business magazine is free at locations all over town. Check the show notes for this podcast or prescottwomanmagazine.com slash distribution to find the location nearest you or subscribe at prescottwomanmagazine.com to make sure you get your issue as soon as it comes out. Okay, now back to our talk with Leslie and Rodney, the power couple with the passion for service. Just to switch to Rodney for a second, just to keep everybody feeling like they're at a tennis match. Can you share with us, given all of the hats that you wear, given all of the plates that you're juggling as well, what's your favorite part of the job? Probably lobbying, because um, we are under under our current president, Dr. Lisa Ryan, and I, who's also a um, awesome person to work with and, and gets it. You know, we've brought home some some nice prizes for our organization and which helps goes directly to, to reduce and eliminate the cost of, of higher education. And so for, for us, um, you know, community colleges are probably one of the best organizations to impact local communities economically. And so we consider ourselves in the economic development business, just like, you know, people's like, what business is McDonald's? Nine out of 10 people will say burgers. It's real estate. And they buy up the property. They create the mechanism to sell the billions and billions of dollars. Ours is economic development because we allow people to move from one spectrum to a completely different spectrum. When you uh, see a, a, a person who had three jobs now have one making more money on the, the one that they did the three, they're at home more, they are contributing to the community. And, and it's 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 a, a cycle, if you will. And, and so to be able to to provide the resources to make education affordable, it's something that um, to me, it's it's invaluable. Yeah. 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 I have to say I have a two year degree and then I went on to get a four year degree and a master's later. But being able to go directly from high school to community college was huge for me. Unless you have a four-year scholarship to one of one of the um, four-year institutions, it makes financial sense. First of all, you're going to pay a fraction of what you'll pay. And, and with us, we we've launched what we call OER, Open Educational Resources, and essentially that means free textbooks. Mm. And so imagine going back to when you were in school. Like an accounting textbook for me was two hundred twenty-five dollars, and that was in the eighties, and mm-hmm. and so now it's a house note. And yeah, and how about if we could we can make those those costs go away? In addition to the the myriad of support we give the students um, on the tuition, we are also working to make OER a huge part of our organization. So you shouldn't graduate in debt. I mean, some of us have that coming out of our behinds mm-hmm. and, and it's not fair. It's not right. So I'm, I'm actually praying that the Biden administration administration forgive the student loans. I'm- 
And you've got uh, Dr. Jill Biden in there as a as a strong community college advocate. She's a community college educator. Are, are you looking for more support for what you're doing in Yavapai College? Sure. Matter of fact, we're working closely with the Biden administration. President and I actually have a meeting with his undersecretary for education for secondary education. Um, we also have uh, meetings with our congressional chair for the Labor and Education Committee. And we're, we're not just meeting them just to, to have tea. We're meeting them trying to further the agenda of, of getting people educated and degreed or certified to, to improve both their quality of life and standard of living. That's so important. You know, one of my one of my pet peeves, I have a I have a background in nonprofit management as well and working with youth as well. I ran a I ran a mentoring program in Prescott for 10 years. And I just see the the challenges that kids, that young people face in this community. They're the same kinds of challenges that kids face in urban areas, but there just aren't the resources. You have to you have to travel all the way down to the state house. You have to, you know, you have to travel all the way to to DC to get some to get some resources to come to our, you know, relatively small community. So thank you for doing that. We need those, we need those resources and those kids need some hope and, and an outlet for their creativity and their, their brilliance and their aspirations. So thank you for wrangling, getting them, getting them writing those checks. It's just fun to be able to change people's lives in the way that they didn't even imagine. And so, and then being able to do a creative at Yavapai College, we're doing breakthrough kinds of things. You may have heard of our 3D printing program that we're launching. Mm. We will be the first community college to offer that technology. We're launching fermentation. We have the viticulture and analogy program. Now we're going into beer. You know, we're not drinkers, but this college is causing me to drink because of our wine has won so many national awards. And now we're going to get into fermentation. And, and most of the people in our enology and viticulture program, they own wineries. And, and so it's like truly people are, are really shaping their own futures. And so we want to do that with fermentation. It's fun to be in an environment where you can, we don't, consider ourselves thinking inside or outside the box. There's no box. And, and so go crazy. The worst I you can do is that. succeed. <laughs> that's great. And Rodney, while I got you, I just want to ref- kind of refer back to something that's in the article in Prescott Woman Magazine, where you talk about the community that you grew up in. And But the line that, that really struck us in the article was this idea that you want to help create a community to pass on this sort of a, a legacy move, essentially. Um, what does that what does that community that you want to pass on look like smell like taste like it probably tastes like beer and wine but um <laughs> you, you know what what is what is your vision for that community you want to pass on it, it's one that your grandmother can walk to the corner store and not get robbed your kids can, can cross the street and not get a middle finger put up at them it's one you know, when we grew up everyone was our parents' parent or friend. And and so you do something wrong. By the time you got home, everyone told your parents. And so you couldn't hide it, even your teachers. I mean, I I can remember one time when I, uh, we got this young, I was in the ninth grade, this young English teacher. She was gorgeous. So all of the guys in the class was making passes at her, including me. (laughs) 
unbeknownst to us, she lived right around the corner from us. And so she was on the porch talking to my mother when I was coming home from school. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's what community is. You hear about the village. It takes a village. What that village is, everyone uh, um, jumping in and, and, you know, when, when your parents are working the night shift, they know that Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you're eating over their house. Their kids are coming over our house on the weekends when their parents are working and nobody's being abused, abandoned or neglected. And so that's community, community where the police officers grew up in the same area. They went to high school with your kids. And and so you don't have to worry about a police officer putting their knee on your neck. You, what you have to worry about is the police officer spanking your butt if they catch you doing something wrong. Everyone in the community was as invested as everyone in the community. And that happens in both rural and urban communities. So Yapai County is in some foreign country. It, it's in the same principles and rural works in urban. That's a wonderful vision. Thanks for sharing that so much. Yeah, I, w- I want to live in that community. <laughs> Yeah. So, Leslie, in reading the article and all of the different populations that you've worked with, it seemed like the the common thread was people who were vulnerable and or marginalized. And it struck me that you didn't want to see anybody be left out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's so true. What is it about that, that that motivates you? I think for me, it was my experiences in some of my friends weren't as as well off. We were not by any means <laughs> rich hoity toity, but you know, there were times when I had friends who were disadvantaged and may not have had the same opportunities that had been afforded me. So even as young as and recognizing that there was a different dynamic that that I lived in and could appreciate and value from what my family and my parents gave me, but then having the the opportunity to work in these many different sets, you know, sectors, even of nonprofit has broaden my perspective. You know, as I said, I, I worked in mental health, early head start. What is early head start? It's it's traditionally that single mom who's trying to, you know, do do well by her family and needs a safe place for her, her young child to be. Mental health, we definitely know that dynamic. It, it could be that family who has that loved one who is struggling and has had challenges and they don't know where to turn and, and are needing some supports to be able to be supportive of their their loved one. It's that person who is coming off of welfare and trying to help them break that stigma and not even them. They were not the issue. It was the perception that the public has of that person who is coming off of welfare and who they may have been and and what they may have been because of what you see versus truly coming to know that there are always different sides to every story. Same thing with someone who has a felony or has been incarcerated. That person is coming out. They've, they've, they've paid their dues. They've learned their lesson. They have a family that they're ready to support. They're looking for a hand up. 
they're not looking for a handout. It's helping to break the cycle, helping to overcome the stigma. That has all driven me to really want to help to support, bring to light, build awareness around um, needs that are in the community. So being in this geriatric space, because that's traditionally with with Alzheimer's and dementia, it has been this older population. My heart has gone out to those caregivers and, and what they frankly, what they endure, as well as that person with with dementia. So it, it, it has evolved. And, and just really, I think, it, it again, it goes to my core values of just being that person or being that that talking head to bring awareness. It, my heart speaks from passion, but it's really I'm trying to connect people who have endured and gone through with people who don't even think or realize that people have gone through. Yeah, well, I'm really grateful to talk to you about it because Alzheimer's runs in both sides of my family and there haven't been diagnoses, but I'm looking at it closer generationally. And so I will be talking with you more probably. I would welcome that because at the end of the day, if, if I have been able to engage and connect one person who can then connect another person. Our, our, our program model has changed where years ago, we used to do a, a version of direct service where someone would call or they would maybe call our office. And, and I do have social workers that are in the office. And once that person contacted the office, they became a part of their caseload, if you will. Um, but mm-hmm. but that's, that wasn't realistic for us because we just don't have the capacity. What we yeah, realized is that we're conveners, that we're here to connect someone to resources that are in the community. And, you know, I actually share that we're moving away from that one-to-one for us to connect with one person who can connect to many people and then many people who can connect to many people. That's how we are successful and can be effective. So thank you for being these two people. So would that be considered mm-hmm. many who are helping right. helping Rodney and I to connect to many people who may not realize, you know, the work that we're doing, you know, as an association as and as Yavapai College. Right. You're turning us into ambassadors. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. <laughs> so Leslie, I listen to a a lot of science podcasts and I was listening to one not very long ago. I can't remember at the moment which one it is, ironically, but they were talking about Alzheimer's and from from a research perspective, and it sounded like some good news was on the horizon. Is there is there any good news you can share with our listeners? The, I would say because I'm not a researcher, I am not a science person, but what I can say is we are so much closer to getting support, getting medical help to the community to be able to address um, the varying aspects of the disease. There are often times where we think that we're this close with talking about or ready to announce about a medication that has been going through trials. And then just before we're ready, it's like, eh, 
you know, let, let's back up. We're, we're, we're not mm. quite there. However, so disappointing. It, it is, and it can be challenging. However, being a research and resource organization, one of the things that we launched just in since I've been with the association, so just in, just in two years, is a, an app called Science Hub. So you can download the app called Alzheimer's Association Science Hub and can get the latest information around research. And you'll probably get more information and know more about it before I even have a chance to to dive in. So one of the things, many things that I do appreciate about the association is trying to get as much information out to the public as possible and being innovative in how we're able to to do that. So when it comes to research, Science Hub is definitely one where it'll come up. You can get a notification about the latest thing for that day, for that week. Same thing with our with our website and the like. So there is a lot of effort and a lot of work that continues to go into trying to find that cure. We're trying to find that first survivor of Alzheimer's and all related dementias. And, you know, the, the association is not, is not backing off that if nothing else, we're continuing to try to engage further. Well, I appreciate that because, uh, like I said, you know, I, I feel like I got a big target on my brain and I, I'm hoping that I, I can outlast uh, the curve yes, of, definitely. Of, of discovery. Understood. I, understood. I, I know what you're well, talking about. I know. Yeah. No one else does. I hope I have good timing. Yes. You all have been, you know, so generous with your time tonight and you've been so generous with your energy in in our community. And thank you for adopting Prescott. Thank you for, mm-hmm. for moving here and, and taking up leadership roles in this community and serving students and serving elders and serving families. And thanks for raising a couple of boys. You guys have a couple of teen and, and preteen boys, right? And we just want to, you know, as a, as a, as a mentor for youth, I just want to hats off to hats off to anybody raising a kid. Thank you so much for doing they're, that. They're both teens. They're, they, we don't, we don't have any preteens. There's, there's a difference. So yeah, they're, they're both teens now. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you, for those of you who can't see Leslie's face right now, her eyes are very wide. <laughs> not sure what that's about. That's, that's for, that's a topic for a different podcast or, you know, maybe for a cup of coffee downtown, but yeah, thanks so much for, for being on the Prescott woman podcast. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. So I adore them, by the way. I, you know, we could have talked for like three days. Brianna never gives us people that are terrible to interview. No, she doesn't. But yes, we could have, we could have, there's so much more to talk. Yeah, we had a lot of good subjects in common and. Yep. They're awesome and intelligent and compassionate and dedicated. And I'm just really, I'm really glad they're here in this community. And we're just so lucky to have people you know, willing to to come from outside of our area and bring their expertise and mm-hmm. their education and bring their gifts, bring their gifts and their here. Love. Yeah. Yep. And I think we're all going to be we're all going to be better for it. So, yeah, I'm really glad we got a chance to talk mm-hmm. to them. And, and we hope that you listeners and audience also feel a little almost like a little sense of relief, like, oh, there's mm. there are great people in this town. And they're they're taking care of business. They're taking care of business. Absolutely. 
So be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And tell your friends about it. And subscribe to the Prescott Woman magazine so you never miss a moment of local goodness just like this. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. Prescott Woman podcast is produced by Rocket Feather Creative. Thank you.